Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Our guest today is Kate Nelson, also known as Plastic Free Mermaid. And we recorded this session live on our Instagram to mark the start of Plastic Free July 2020. Have you heard about Plastic Free July? It's a movement that started in Perth, Western Australia, and has now spread all across the world. It's a campaign that asks people to try and minimise the amount of single-use plastic they use for the month of July. It's not about completely giving up. It's about learning those simple ways you can minimise exposure to prevalent and pervasive single-use plastics. It's a brilliant campaign that I have personally supported for many, many years. We decided to speak with Kate because Kate has somehow found a way of not using single-use disposable plastic for 10 years. Can you imagine that? 10 years of living without single-use plastic. Anyone who's been able to do that obviously has lots of hints and tips to share, and Kate does. In fact, she's just recently published her first book, I Quit Plastics and You Can Too. So in this conversation, we talk all about those simple ways that you and people in your community can limit their amount of single-use plastic they use. We talk about the origins of our friendship and the work that we and many others have been doing for the last decade in trying to bring awareness and action to plastic pollution. It's a great conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If you do, write a review, share it, and send us a comment. Thanks for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Hello everyone, it's 5.30 on Friday the 3rd of July, which means we are going to be going live with Kate Nelson, also known as Plastic Free Mermaid. So this is a chance to get involved with the Plastic Free July initiative and learn all about the great work of this incredible activist and actionist that we know as Kate and we also know as a plastic free mermaid so really looking forward to the conversation oh, and there you are how are you darling hello I'm good how are you <laughs> I'm doing really well Yay! I guess um unlike everyone else who's participating in plastic free July your first few days are probably just like any other three days of the month you are <laughs> correct it's just same old same old for me <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you're able to join us today, Kate, and uh, hopefully share some hints and tips and insights for people out there who are really trying to um, understand what it is actually like to try and live single-use plastic-free and really importantly, I suppose, um, understand why it is so important that we, that we actually try to reduce our single-use plastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. It's so great to... <laughs> chat with you about this amazing topic that has captivated our lives for years. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a good place to start with this conversation, Kate. Um, might actually just do a first little acknowledgement that uh, I'm tuning in from um, Camaragal country in, in Sydney and uh, certainly paying my respects to elders past, present and emerging as we settle in for this uh, little fireside chat on a Friday afternoon and you're up in Byron Bay, I assume. But um, 
Yeah, we'd love to kind of go right back to the origins of our of our friendship and, and relationship on this plastic pollution fighting journey. Uh, what are your recollections of our first um, meetings? <laughs> um, we met at a picnic table in Newcastle, uh, overlooking a beach, and we were discussing. I think I don't. I think it was like 2011, maybe. That sounds we about right. Discussing plastics and what we were going to do, and I was sharing my. Uh, policy work in California on, on working on bag bans and just trying to get a feel for what the deal was with, with plastic pollution in Australia and what, what the kind of culture was around plastic pollution and if people were aware and, and yeah, what you were kind of just feeling out the scene here in Australia and what, what the awareness level was like here. <laughs> so what had brought you to Newcastle in the first place? I was there working for a, another non-profit called Conservation Volunteers Australia and I guess by 2011, Take Three for the Sea would have been a couple of years into its early journey. But um, what brought you to Newcastle? Um, I was there to surf. I was there surfing and teaching yoga. I just came to Australia because it is an incredible place to adventure in the ocean. <laughs> right. Okay. And so it obviously from that moment uh, hooked you because you're, you're still here nine years on. That's right. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> love the place. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about obviously people picking up on, on your accent and your, your origin. So where are you from and, and, and why did you choose this sort of mermaid lifestyle and this environmentalist lifestyle? Mm, I think they usually say the mermaid life chose me. Is that right? <laughs> I didn't really choose what the ocean got me. Um, I grew up in Minnesota in the US. So that's at the very top of the country uh, where the Great Lakes pour from Canada into the US. So it's really beautiful. It's known as the land of 10,000 lakes, but really it's more like 100,000. It's, it's a really puddly forested state. Um, and then from Minnesota, it kind of spreads out and becomes farmland um, in that area. But Minnesota, there's, it's really beautiful. So I spent my youth growing up, um, you know, canoeing and camping uh, the boundary waters. So the, the big lakes between Canada and the US um, and just developing a really beautiful relationship with nature. Uh, I also went out to California and would do junior lifeguarding in the summers. So yeah, just again, once I saw the ocean, it was just it, it the incredible vast, um, the vastness of it. I mean, you, you see that same you know, never ending horizon or, or just this incredible body of water with the Great Lakes. But um, then underneath the surface of, of the ocean, the marine ecosystem was just mind blowing for me. So yeah, I just fell in love at a young age. And um, then I studied uh, philosophy and, and business economics at college out west at uh, UC Santa Barbara, and was just kind of exploring ethics. Like, why do we make decisions like we do and and do we even have ethics in 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 our culture society as as we know it so yeah so it brought me out to the west coast into the ocean so i love that you sort of um you grew up and the great lakes were the great bodies of water that captivated your your mind and your attention but then you saw the pacific ocean and everything kind of changed the, the greatest lake of all was uh before you that's right full of and mystical beings and creatures. <laughs> exactly, all those mermaids. So how did you then start to meet others um, that had this passion for conserving the ocean and what were some of your first forays into, into activism and actionism? 
Yeah, I mean, I grew up volunteering, so we always did a lot of service work in my family. Um, so in college, I did a lot of service work and, and volunteered a lot in all of my, um, you know, the, the service work that I was choosing was all environmental. Um, so when I was in Minnesota, it was um, conserving um, lakes and, and forests. And then when I was in California, it moved to naturally the ocean. And so I was working for um, Jean-Michel Cousteau's Ocean Future Society um, in Santa Barbara. And that's where I learned about um, from the scientist there, Dr. Andrea Neal. She was studying microorganisms ingesting microplastics. And so this was probably like 11 or 12 years ago. Um, and I just was like, come again? What do you mean by that? You know, so um, that was my first uh, exposure to, to plastics. And um, I'd always been quite, um, you know, active uh, in, in high school. I led a protest because we weren't allowed to wear pants under our uniform um, because it, during winter, it was outrageous. And so I led a protest in high school. Um, and in college, I was, I, was, I was not shy to get involved in the activism. Um, I felt like it was a great way to exercise our freedom of speech and also um, kind of empower ourselves to stand up for what we believe in and also educate each other, educate ourselves about the issues that we're um, kind of attaching to as part of our identity, say, or um, that we, yeah, just felt were important to us. It was, it gave us more reason to go deeper into the research and better understand the issue and importantly, the solutions. Um, so I was pretty active in high school and college and then um, in my volunteering for the, for the ocean nonprofit in, in Santa Barbara, when I learned about plastics, I was like, oh man, you know, had to, had to take action <laughs> on that one. And so you found some fellow mermaids and tell us about what your, some of your first steps there were to, to start tackling plastic at a policy level and education level. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I guess being in the water a lot, um, I surf and sail and, and free dive and, uh, we were stand up paddle boarding a lot. Um, my girlfriend's in California. So when I learned about plastic and I, I told my friends, they were all just as outraged as I was, as any, as all of us are when we learn about plastic that doesn't biodegrade. Um, so we decided to uh, form a nonprofit um, called Save the Mermaids. And so we would dress up like mermaids and go to um, city council and, and, you know, bring all of the science from from Dr. Neil, from Dr. Andrea Neil, and that uh, Captain Charles Moore was finding, and um, that the Plastic Soup Foundation were finding, like all these amazing organizations were coming up with all this research. And so we were presenting it to our local government dressed as mermaids. Uh, and it was hilarious. It was so much fun because <laughs> they were having these kind of boring, um, you know, council meetings that were just dragging on. And then we'd show up sparkly in seashells and say, hi, <laughs> we're mermaids. We came from the ocean. And uh, we just wanted to bring up this issue of plastic pollution. And they were like, oh, okay, let's hear from the mermaids. Sure. <laughs> and that was so funny. And then we had all of this um, scientific evidence to kind of back these, these claims that we were pushing for. We were like, so would you mind considering banning plastic bags because they're a real issue? Uh, so we had a lot of fun with it. It was great. <laughs> I love that. It reminds me of like uh, Doshi, the gnarly beach cleaner in yeah. California. And his whole <laughs> philosophy of, of making it fun, right? Activism is a pretty serious game and there's a lot of beat down. So uh, I love that from a very early stage in your journey, you realize you had to make it fun. This had to be something people wanted to be a part of. That's right. 
Well, that was kind of the, the hard part about the environmental movement. I wanted to be a part of it, but you know, at every corner, they were pushing a petition or begging for, you know, outside of the, the grocery stores, asking for a donation or, or showing these kind of, um, you know, depressing images. And, and I was looking, I was noticing the reaction of people and it wasn't positive or engaged or um, inspired or, you know, and, and then when you dress up like mermaid <laughs> and you kind of get people laughing and, and giggling and, and soft, um, or open, they're just so much more willing to discuss these sort of hard issues that they weren't, you know, five minutes ago, or that they maybe just don't have the energy for, or the time for, or the budget for, if it's council. But if you're like, we're fun, we're gonna, you know, everyone wants to laugh, everyone wants to play. So yeah, when you can initiate that um, in, in your activism, if you can engage, or, you know, I, I try to, lead by example and, and with grace and integrity as opposed to forcing or, or leading with fear, um, which are also, you know, effective tactics in activism. There's a place for that. But yeah, I, I enjoy I find it more sustainable for myself to have fun with it. That's right. And I'm a big proponent of this diversity in activism. There's no one size fits all. We need a lot of different approaches to sort of edge towards the, the ultimate end goal. But let's like sort of fast forward, right? 10, 11, 12 years on, and you're still um, advocating for action on plastic. Uh, it doesn't feel like we've really, aside from winning perhaps the hearts and minds of the masses, it's mainstream now, but we don't really have any evidence that we've made a tangible improvement to the pollution affecting the ocean or affecting us. So uh, yeah, how are you going in 2020 with the, the big picture goals of, of your activism? Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm an optimist and um, that's what gets me through it. That's why I'm still here fighting the fight. Uh, and I think that capturing the hearts and minds is a massive milestone. I think that is a huge thing. Um, that yeah i that i celebrate cheers to us i think that um the awareness around plastics is 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 so important uh you know i think there's a few stages to the plastics awakening first you're like oh it's a problem like we need to clean the beaches and then and then we realize oh i'm the problem it's how we use plastic that's the problem um and then we kind of have this reckoning where we're like oh shoot like how do i even begin it's so ubiquitous and then there's the, the further awakenings of how it's actually impacting our endocrine systems and whatever on and on but um so i think that just having that that tip of the iceberg of the awareness uh around plastics is a massive achievement that i'm so proud of all of us who've been working on this for so long um where I'm gonna go with it. Uh, I, I feel grateful to be able to transition a little bit from just like awareness, like you guys, listen, there's plastic, we need to hear, you know, like stop using it, um, to transition to to the solutions. Uh, you, know, inst you know, I have a book right here, how, you know, making things that are, are at home instead, or just simplifying, like we don't need to rely so much on so much stuff um on so much packaged stuff so influencing um individual change so that we can then influence systemic change um is where where i have a lot of fun i think that it's really empowering um to to work with people on that uh also supporting the businesses uh that are you know working towards the solutions as well some of the refill reuse repurpose 
uh, circular business models that um, are mostly coming from local small businesses. So working to support those businesses is really important to me, um, as well as the science, like the research and innovation around bioplastics. I, I tend to avoid really endorsing them because single use is still single use. Like I'm not saying go use the, the bioplastic cups, but it's interesting to watch what, uh, what is being made around with seaweed and with hemp. Um, so yeah, that's where, that's where my interest lies is to see what sorts of things are going to replace plastic and how quickly can they biodegrade? Um, and how can we close these loops on these materials that we're, that we're using? You know, how, what, what can we influence in our, in our society? What different behaviors, um, and just change some of this behavior around single use, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just excited to see what comes. Like now that there's so many awakened minds to plastic, there are so many incredible projects, so much innovation, so many minds that are working on this problem. So it's a really cool time. Yeah, we're in the age of solutions well and truly now. Let's talk a bit about um, the book, your, your new book, um, how long it's been out and uh, what it's about. I know my copy's in the post, so I can't wait to, to dig into it. But um, give us the rundown on your new book. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Uh, so I wrote a book. It's called and You Can Too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really beautiful. I'm so proud of it. Pantera Press out of Sydney um, helped me put this together. And it's got lots of pictures. Um, and yeah, we just launched it in the US yesterday. So it's a freshie. Get your hands on it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's basically it's, it's a little bit about what we've been talking about, you know, uh, ethics and, and how you kind of set an ethical boundary uh, against something like plastic and then how you sustain that and what um, what kind of self-care rituals you need to you ha have in place so that you're resilient and you just don't fold at the first bag of chips that someone offers you and and really tuning into your why you know your intention for wanting to make a change like quitting plastics or going vegan or you know any of these sorts of um, ethical choices that we that we choose to make that influence our life and, and our identity. Uh, so I explore a lot of that and, and then also um, plastic pollution and, and, and how it impacts human health in a really scary way. You know, the estrogen, um, how it acts like estrogen in our bodies and causes us to gain weight and, and get depressed and, and even be infertile. So I touch on that. And then some practical theory on how to quit plastics. It's, it's a guide. It's an intro guide. It's not hard at all. It's like really basic stuff. Um, teach you uh, the feedback I'm getting is that people find it um, helpful. It's not, you know, quitting plastics. It, it seems daunting because it's everywhere. Um, but I've, I've done the hard work. I'm 10 years off the stuff. So I've put it all into a guide and yeah, it's, I'm really proud of it. There's lots of recipes. There's different sections for bath products and beauty products and cleaning products and then staple food recipes. So it's pretty, covers a lot. <laughs> I'm really proud of you too, Kate. I can only imagine the huge amount of work that went into it and what that sense of satisfaction must be for you right now. Um, so yeah, what sort of feedback are you getting? Well, obviously you've been sharing lots of hints and tips and recipes um, via social media and your website for a while, but uh, yeah, what's the feedback so far and, and what are people really um, picking up as the easiest things that they didn't think they could possibly do without single-use plastic, but now they can because of your work? Yeah, and thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think that the feedback is just, uh, you know, I, I get 
I'm a philosophy major, so I go deep a lot. And Instagram has pretty limited caption space. <laughs> so it's hard to kind of complete thoughts a lot of the time um, or, or rants more. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was just, it was a beautiful opportunity to share um, a bit of my own philosophy and how I live my life. Um, and so I've been getting a lot of really beautiful feedback on that, on, um, on th that it's inspiring people to, um, that once that, that this idea of quitting plastics, which once, once felt quite unattainable, um, or like on this pedestal as if it was, it, it was just impossible to achieve, or they had to do a lot before they quit plastics, you know, they had to prepare themselves or, um, be a certain level of environmentalist before they could even take on the, the challenge, uh, that, that this book helps people kind of soften that, um, mental, I guess, barrier towards quitting plastics and just, um, yeah, allows them to, to make it, it just feels more accessible. Like it just feels easy. It feels simple. And that's what it is. You know, it's it, plastic is actually a, a barrier to living how we used to live. It's kind of gotten in the way it's complicated things. Um, I always think of it as, as it's not actually doing much. It's just advertising space for the marketer, the producer, the manufacturer, you know, they are able to say sugar free or gluten free or all these different claims that then, um, you know, trigger the different things that we identify with. So if we're like, I'm trying to eat gluten free, and we see it on a package, we're easier to market to. So it just makes us more sheep like, you know. Um, so I find this, uh, and I talk about this in the book, I find this whole, um, you know, quitting of plastics, it's more about just reconnecting to our agency, it's becoming sovereign beings again, it's not just buying everything from one gigantic superstore. Uh, that's all packaged in plastic and then putting it in plastic bags and bringing it home and having a huge trash can full of plastic packaging. But instead, it's it's being sovereign again. You go into a store, you're like, I can't buy most of the stuff in here. What am I going to do? I have to think for myself again. I have to create something. Okay, I need milk or, you know, I need um, water. What am I going to do? Okay, I need to, I need to find a water source. <laughs> do I need to carry it? Oh, that's some good exercise. You know, so it's connecting back to the things that we need in our life and what we really need. And the whole process is so beautiful because we should be connected to where our water comes from. We should be connected to where our food comes from. It shouldn't be shipped in from all over the planet and, you know, packaged in these plastic packages that we just throw away. You know, when we connect back to where these things come from, we have a more enriched, fulfilled um, lifestyle, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And so it's easy to project and to romanticize what the world could look like as people adopt um, those behaviors in droves. And I think that's on its way, right? People are reconnecting with localization and there's this real sort of feeling and sentiment about slowing down. So we can certainly project the growth in that space, but then the other side is right. We, we live in a, in a world that is dominated by giant industries and the greatest and the most powerful of those are the petroleum industries who've been mining um, carbon from our earth for, for a, a long time now and have projections to keep doing that. So where does, I suppose, the, the romanticism about what uh, a relocalization look like compared to the other side of the coin, which is that these giant industries want to have decades and probably centuries um, of sustenance ahead of them? Like, where do, you, where do you forecast them meeting in the middle and what is some of that 
little journey going to look like, do you think? Yeah, I know. It, it, can, it can feel really overwhelming. Um, and there is that sort of paralysis uh, in the kind of awareness of the activist's awakening journeys when we, when we get kind of paralyzed with all of the things, you know, all of the issues impacting the planet and, oh my gosh, it's too much. And then you just go on with life as usual. Um, or you, you stay and you fight and you work on it. Um, I think that uh, we're fortunate um, because the youth are coming. <laughs> and I don't mean like the youth are saving us all, but that they have such a connection to the environment. And um, the people who are currently in charge, uh, and I'm, I'm careful, uh, you know, we have, you're right, even the bailouts in this country have been our fossil fuel focused. Um, the recovery from, from COVID, our fossil fuel focused. Um, it's what Australia knows. It's what the economy is built on. It's what the wealth of this country is built on. So I understand that it feels comfortable. Um, I think that, and, and I sometimes get slack because I focus on individual change. I focus on behavior change. I'm like, I quit plastics. You can too. Look at the impact one person can make. And people are like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to worry about using a single or a reusable water bottle. It's like, it's, we need to think about systems change up here. But my, my opinion and, and in my experience, and this is the grassroots activist in my heart, is that we can't get to systems change unless we chip away and we create that ripple effect because it's individuals at the, at the top making these decisions. It's individuals that are CEOs of these fossil fuel corporations. It's individuals that are the policy makers, you know, who we've met with over and over and countless and we're wearing them down. You know, and it's, it's, it's only through these individual changes and through these sort of awakening, like we talked about at the beginning of our, our chat. Um, okay, yay, we got awareness. People are aware that plastic is a problem. You know, we see all these straw bands. Yeah, it's low hanging fruit. And initially I was like, oh, damn it, straw bands. Like, come on, we need more, like stronger legislation. But at least we have straw bands. Like that's the precedent now. You know, we have plastic uh, ban precedent that we can, we can build on. Um, and we have setbacks like the masks, you know, the COVID uh, hygienic, mandatory hygiene for all these um, protective plastic. However, you know, there's always going to be setbacks. And yes, there's incredible investment in fossil fuels as well. So we continue as leaders in this field to inspire and to lead by example and to bring hope because there are so many more minds working on this problem now. And when we see other people working on this, lift them up. So supporting each other, um, especially that's what we're seeing with the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, my God, this is so important that we lift up the communities of color, that the Black, the Indigenous, the peoples of color get lifted up and supported so that we, they have to stop worrying about surviving and they can join the causes that they care about. You know, it's, 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 a, it's such an incredible time that we're at right now because we have the opportunity to, we have this global pause, you know, we can't travel, we can't kind of go on with life as usual. So we're, we're forced to kind of look at what our approach to life is and what really matters to us and what our values are and who we love and what we care about. And we can either, um, you know, put energy into worrying about what's going on behind the scenes with our politicians and with our government, or we can take action. And we can channel that frustration and that, that anger or that rage or whatever these emotions are and channel it towards positive action. And sometimes, because we don't want to overwhelm people to inaction, sometimes the best thing we can do is just start with ourselves. 
and just make changes ourselves and, and work on ourselves and get composting and, you know, start growing some food and support our local businesses, our local farmers market and try to shop with less plastics and try to make some of our own products, you know, just doing things, taking this on ourselves. And if we can't support others who are doing it. Um, and then and then we start to we're a part of a community that's making change um, and we can identify more opportunities to give energy or, or donate or um, put, you know, put energy towards things that need it. Yeah, and that's why I think it's so important that environmentalists um, and identities like you are the glass half full optimists and are happy to see that the the incremental slow approach is perhaps the only approach where other people who perhaps can't grasp that uh, are forced into that state of paralysis of like, but if plastic's a problem, stop making plastic and not really, I guess, understanding the, the protracted ask um, to unwind this fossil fuel-based economy that Australia has unfortunately built for itself will now need to be deconstructed, you know, bit by bit that, to, to reach the end goal. And justly, because, you know, the, the people that work in the fossil fuel, like they're, they have families, they're people too, you know, so it's a just transition. And you're right. I think we're, we're kind of caught up in this pace of, of go, 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 faster, faster, faster. And, and that's one beautiful thing about slowing down and simplifying and, and this sort of like regenerative lifestyle where you wait for the seasons, you know, and you wait for the rain. Um, and and it's, it's that slowing down that's more natural. It's more in alignment with nature. Um, and so you're right, it's, it's, it's hard, especially when the clock is ticking on things like the planet warming up um, mm. and, and the communities and the, the, the islands that are going underwater, you know, like these are real natural disasters affecting people. So I feel that sense of urgency. Um, and, you know, we all can do our best. So we just keep doing our best, each of us. And that's how we look ourselves in the mirror. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, because on one hand, we're speaking to your incredible work in mobilizing and inspiring individuals in this sort of local action against um, a global problem. But you have gone and, and partaken in some pretty significant global projects. I wanted to get you a little bit um, talking about, you know, Break Free from Plastic and some of the experiences you had over there. And also that the um, the health uh, and plastics in health summit that you went to recently as well. I wonder if you wouldn't mind talking to those two um, major um, projects that you've been involved with. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so uh, let's see. I guess it was two years now. Um, two years ago, I went with. So Break Free from Plastic is an incredible alliance of organisations uh, that are all working on the plastics problem. Um, working to change the narrative on plastics to how people think and talk and, and, and live around plastics, um, as well as target the main sources of plastic pollution, which aren't countries like Indonesia or, or Thailand, but actually corporations like Coca-Cola and Unilever, as well as supporting um, the Global South or where we kind of ship all of our trash from the Global North. Um, a lot of these, these countries in Southeast Asia, for example, supporting them with these programs called Zero Waste Cities, which are helping them transition to dealing with their waste on a really local level or scale. Um, so yeah, it's an amazing uh, alliance of organizations and I'm, I'm just kind of a random mermaid in there that, that loves to support them um, and you know, amplify the, the causes and, and the campaigns that they're working on um, because they're, 
you know, close to my heart and really doing amazing work. Um, and Greenpeace is a part of this alliance. And so they brought me uh, over to Amsterdam for um, a really cool uh, project working with their plastic monster campaign, which was about targeting some of those corporations, which was super fun. Um, and then I, I went to the Plastic Health Summit as well. So, uh, but I'll back up. So the Break, the break Free From Plastic um, uh, kind of crew was, was working on a documentary uh, that was produced by Steve Wilson. And um, it's called Story of Plastic. Everyone should check it out. It's really great. And we went to Indonesia and the Philippines on kind of a, a mission to get more footage about where the plastic was being sent. So where are these places? Where is a way? Like, uh, um, and so we went to some really remote islands in Indonesia, in Java. Uh, and it was just, it was heartbreaking to see, you know, I, I focus on like shop at the bulk food store and make your own deodorant, uh, which is great and important, but it, there's nothing um, that really activates that sense of, of the global issue of plastic pollution. Like when you're standing in a remote island in Indonesia and you're, you're sifting through piles of trash in this beautiful jungle village that have just piled up and you have to walk through these piles of trash to get anywhere and the trash is from the u.s it's like trader joe's bags or or from australia you know like these packages of food that you can't get from anywhere else except for australia and the people that are sorting it are these these people that that are indonesian they don't even speak english and they probably haven't left that island and maybe never will um and yet they're sorting through our trash. Uh, so that's when it really puts it into perspective around how, um, how wasteful we are and, and how important it is to really take responsibility for everything we use and everything uh, that we throw away and instead of closing that loop and trying to reuse it and repurpose it. Um, so it was really eye-opening for me. It was really humbling. Uh, I think that I, you know, I'm loud. I, the system works for me. I, I have a voice and um, I try to use it for good. I try to inspire change. Uh, and I also need to do so much more. So that was really eye-opening for me in terms of, of who is really affected by our trash. It's not just the whales and the dolphins. You know, it's these yeah. entire countries where we're shipping all of our trash. Um, and so, yeah, people, people, right? And people. People, people, villages, children, you know, they're running and, and sorting through trash, sorting through our trash, these children. And, and as we know about the, the unfortunate toxicity of plastic, it's not safe for them to play with that plastic. It leads to lasting, you know, disease. So that was heartbreaking. And um, yeah, I have a lot of those highlights on my Instagram page if anybody is, is listening and wants to check those out. Um, it's hard to watch, but it's important again, um, you know, educating ourselves about about where our trash really ends up, and when there's not a clear answer, it's like, okay, well, maybe maybe I need to rethink what I'm using. Um, so yeah, so that was a that was an amazing adventure to go over to Indonesia and just see how they're dealing with the trash as well, like what waste systems they're creating to to process the plastic over there. Like they can't just let it pile up, you know. They've started sorting it and. Um, in this particular place, we, we visited with my friend Priggy, who has a nonprofit called uh, Ecoton. So if you want to support him, he, he, he should. It's E-C-O-T-O-N. Um, and so he took us on this amazing tour where we, where we uh, saw these people chopping up plastic packages of margarine. So they'd, they'd you know, um, 
sorted out so much plastic waste and then they'd had this big pile of margarine packets and and they were cleaning it they'd, they'd they were right next to a river and they were uh there was a pipe that was pouring water from the river and it was cleaning the margarine packets and then they were routing that water back to the river and then they were chopping up these margarine packets and then stuffing these this shred the plastic shred into this bag and then that was being sold hopefully on the global waste market or something um it, it was they wouldn't tell us it was all very secretive because it was kind of owned by the mafia run by the mafia there um and the river next to it that was rerouting the water was just sludge and the village, this jungle, that we were in the middle of the jungle there, it was just covered in these plastic, brightly colored flecks. Uh, and I'd never, I've never seen anything like it. It was so surreal because it smelled synthetic, like you could smell the plastic. And it was just in this rainbow jungle, like it, it looks like Candyland or something. And this river was just white sludge because they'd been cleaning toothpaste and all sorts of different plastic packages. Um, yeah, so to again, to see the, the plastics issue that you know, intimately and what people are actually having to do to sort through our trash um, was motivating. I mean, it was sad and hard. And then, you know, you, you uh, transform or compost those emotions into something useful. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of well understood that um, to engage people in acknowledging this problem, you know, take them to do a beach cleanup or take them to a, a waste recovery facility and they can actually see the scale of the problem. But I mean, going to the ultimate destination of, way, of a way where the ultimate failures of this globalised approach to waste uh, are realised is just such a, a profound thing. And so for you to be able to go and share that back with so many people via your communications channels is critically important. Um, yeah, what about the health stuff? I mean, this is, I guess, um, the summit we were talking about in Amsterdam was the first of its kind. And... I've certainly been, um, you know, waiting with bated breath for the most compelling evidence to come out linking, um, you know, toxic plastic materials and our applications and uses of it back to human health. Um, very hard to kind of create that direct correlation that can really become the headline of the New York Times. But you went and heard from some of the best. And, and what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. It was so exciting. I was so like honored to be there reporting at that summit. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, like, it was, it was put on by the plastic, uh, soup foundation, which, um, Maria, the founder is, is such an incredible woman. She, um, learned about plastics, you know, about a decade ago. Um, and, uh, captain Charles Moore actually told her, he was like, go to Europe, tell them, spread the message. And she's done a phenomenal job of really um, creating awareness in Europe, as especially in, in Holland. Um, so yeah, it was in Amsterdam. And um, the first half of the summit was about microplastics and the second half was about the to leaching toxins um, and the estrogen uh, mimicking characteristics of plastic. So the first half microplastics, uh, it, was, it, it was amazing. I mean, to have, it was, horrible but it was amazing to have research as you say to be able to point to um you know one of the amazing things that that plastic suit foundation did was that they raised millions of dollars to be able to fund the science which is so important you know it's so easy to buy science these days with from corporations that that um kind of contradict these independent studies so a vested interest in a, in a certain outcome right exactly so um it was so great that 
that we were able to get funding for a lot of this plastic science in the first place. Um, and then this was the summit where they were, the scientists had the opportunity to present what, they, what they'd found. And they only had about a six month window. So um, they were really working hard and, and a lot of them had some really great things to share and they'll have more to share um, later this year as well, which is super exciting. Um, but yeah, so last year I went and um, the first half was about microplastics. I mean, one of the biggest takeaways is that it's just everywhere. You know, the more you use plastic, the more um, plastic, like it's in your carpets or your curtains or your clothing, or you're in a supermarket full of plastic packaging or in a clothing store that's made, you know, with synthetic clothing um, and you're wiggling the clothing rack, it's, it's all shedding these little microplastics. And so we're constantly in a cloud of microplastics at all times. And then we ingest those microplastics and they lodge in our lungs. So there's, it's just at a scale that we, we, can't, we can't see with the naked eye. Um, and so to have these, this research coming out, which is all available online um, through the Plastic Health Summit and the uh, Plastic Health Foundation, um, yeah, it, it, it's exciting to be able to point to those, to that evidence and say, no, this is important. Like you can't use plastic to package everything. It's, it's hurting us. <laughs> um, it's impacting the next generation. It's impacting our ability to reproduce. Uh, so mm -hmm. the first half was, was, yeah, about the microplastics, which was great. And all these, all these uh, presentations were actually filmed and you can watch them online. Um, so that's Do you great. believe, I mean, I've always sort of felt like, you know, we're, we're up against it with the images of the environmental and wildlife implications of our plastic addiction. But when it comes to the story of what it's doing to us and to our children, and then there is this just cascading amplifi amplifying effect of these insights and this science, this data coming out, that it will be what it'll be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I mean, do you believe that? Do you think it's where it's going to head? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get so many, um, I have, I have this conversation a lot, you know, like where do we put our energy? Do we focus on, on renewables? Do we focus on re reducing plastic? Um, where do we put our energy? And um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't predict the future. I don't know what, what it's going to be. I think we're exposed to so many toxins. I think we're exposed to, um, you know, so much different kinds of pollution that we probably aren't even aware of. But what I think is so mind blowing is that the sheer volume of plastic that we're exposed to because it's kind of penetrated every single industry, you know, like it's, 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 we're exposed to it in our car, in the supermarket, at home, at school, at work, um, you know, on the bus, wherever we are. We're exposed to plastic pretty much in every single thing that we're doing. So, like the the amount of plastic that we, you know, it's and it's actually low dose exposure in these little bits, and you know, sipping through a plastic um, lid or or drinking from a plastic bottle or. Um, even breathing entire dust. So it's all of this low, do low dose exposure. Yeah, it's, it's the one thing that we all have in common across the globe. Like we're all ingesting this plastic material um, and it's, it's impacting us, it's changing us. Even Priggy in Indonesia, he's, he was a river scientist and he was studying um, this river and the Brontus River, which you know millions of people rely on to to drink and to irrigate their crops and to to wash their clothes and their bodies, 
Um, and he, he had to get into plastics because the, the fish and the river were intersexed. So the, the, the sex of the fish was being altered because of the plastic that was being thrown into the river. Um, so I, I don't know if it's the straw that broke the camel's back. I think that, that the back of the camel is just gonna be forever altered. I don't think we're, we're good. it's like these slow changes on across the entire board. It's, it's such a massive um, uh, problem for us because it's, it's across so many industries that we're really gonna have to take a staunch, austere stance against plastic. And that's where this science comes in so handy because we actually have evidence to point to, to influence that sort of hardcore policy. Mm. Yeah, it is a little bit, it is a little bit sobering. Um, and I do think that, you know, it's, 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 it's already changing the conversation. I think in the last few years, since we really started to unpack um, the sources of micro and nanoplastic pollution, and this sort of plastic cloud that we, we all live amongst, even those of us that try so ardently to avoid single-use plastic um you know you go into an office or a school or a car that has synthetic textiles or carpet or curtains or you know bed sheets then you know you you cannot avoid it um so yeah anyway uh let's go back into some more <laughs> fun stuff helps. <laughs> yeah, exactly i think everyone her. listening in is just going wow kate is actually extra special that she could be so buoyant and enthusiastic <laughs> about her work when she knows so much about it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah, just, um, I guess, come back to the sort of the setting right now. It's plastic free July, but it's also 2020. So we have that to deal with. Um, <laughs> but what are sort of some of the things about plastic free July that you'd like to share with people tuning in um, or people just in general, depending upon where they're at with their little journey, um, tell them some hints and tips and sentiment. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, people, people psych themselves out a lot before they even get started. Um, so I think that July is less about like a contest against yourself to see if you can succeed. Um, Cause it's, it's all about failure. You know, plastic is everything. You fail in every, every day. Um, so it's not about being fully plastic free. It's about being plastic aware. Um, it's just a bit, it's like your, your comment about the beach clean, you know, you do a beach clean to kind of really understand the impact of trash on our beaches and, and in our oceans. Um, you know, you clean a beach for two hours. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm never using plastic again. I can't believe how much it is. You know, it's everywhere. With plastic free July is the same thing. It's like a beach clean for your life. You're just auditing the trash, you know, you're auditing the plastic that you use. It's just turning on, you know, you're just putting on plastic glasses and you're seeing the plastic matrix in your own life. Um, I think uh, so that that little pep talk is to take the pressure off. There's no this is not about shame or guilt. It's about awareness and just uh, just tuning in. So I think a, a good thing to do um, is to take do a trash audit. So that's where you just hold on to all of the trash that you get in a week. Um, keep it in a big bin, you know, all the sauce pack, it's a lot now because of COVID and everyone's getting a lot of takeaway food and depending on where you live, you maybe have to wear a new mask and new gloves every day. Um, so keep all of that. And then at the end of the week, uh, you go through it, you know, you go through your uh, Tetra packs for your plant milks and you go through your takeaway 
to-go food and containers and you go through your shampoo bottles and you're like, wow, this is all the trash that I create that's being shipped off to Pergi's River over in Indonesia, you know? So then you can audit yourself and you can say, all right, well, what can I change? What can I do differently? Hey, maybe I'll check out Mermaid's recipe for shampoo. Or maybe I can check out um, how to make my own plant milks instead of buying these plastic packaged milks so then you kind of get a get a really good look at the sort of plastics that you're using and you can make a strategy and a plan around what you're going to phase out and there might be some things that you just can't you can't you know phase out you don't know what to use instead um and that's you know that's fine we're all doing our best so i think taking the pressure off doing a trash audit so you know what you're working with and then just going for it you know going hard and, and being not being afraid to get experimental and resourceful. So yeah, try some weird recipes and see if they work for you. Uh, and then if you're out and about and you forget your reusable cup, you know, try and get resourceful. What can you use instead? Is there a, you know, a bottle in the back of your car or is there something else you can use? Or is it just an opportunity to go without and feel what that feels like? You know, make a little sacrifice for the planet for something bigger than yourself or for that craving in that moment. So yeah, it's a beautiful uh, exercise, Plastic Free July. I, I encourage everyone to try it. <laughs> I love it so much of sort of what you're referring to there is it's a bit of human innovation. Like we're going through a bit of an innovation phase in ourselves into this, uh, this, this new way of looking at things. But maybe we'll just round out the conversation today knowing that Ocean Impact Organisation is charged with supporting innovation and new disruptive ways of doing business that can be regenerative and of positive impact to the ocean. So is there anything that comes up when you think about innovation? Is there any things that you've seen, be they innovations in the way products are delivered or provided or new exciting materials? Um, what are your attitudes towards, I suppose, how we innovate ourselves out of this, um, this situation? Yeah, great question and love your work. So excited to see the projects and, and the things that you guys are working on. It's amazing. Um, I'm super excited about reuse and refill. I think it's so simple. I think that that's, um, you know, that's one of the beauties of this whole movement is just going back to how we used to do things. And I don't think that that's a step in the wrong direction. I think we should be kind of walking in circles. You know, that's the whole point is making things circular. Uh, so I love refill shops. I love um, the reuse revolution, bringing our own and, and normalizing that. It's up to us to normalize these new social norms around bringing our own containers and um, bringing our, our containers to be refilled and, and letting that not be so weird, you know? So um, I'm, I'm interested in behavior science and I'm interested in social change. And that's the kind of activism that I participate in um, is how can we create these, this new narrative around reuse and make it less weird and more normal. Um, so that's, that's something, that's some innovation that I'm interested in and invested in personally. Um, I'm also really excited about innovation in, in just business models, you know, like how are, how are business models going to change and adjust as we see that these global monopolies um, and multinational corporations are not you know, they're killing us. They're, they're the ones responsible for the pollution. So um, how are we, how are we able to, um, you know, support these businesses and support these, these entrepreneurs? Um, I'm really interested in the, the different business models that are coming out of this. You know, we're seeing in COVID even like local farmers are 
thriving. You know, the people that already know how to grow their own food, they're the ones who are like self-sufficient. They're like, woo, like we're killing it over here. You know, chickens. Who says you can't print your own money? Just grow your own food. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, wow, self-sufficiency, what a concept, you know, instead of um, relying on everyone else to do everything for us. I mean, that's the concept of the blue zones, right? You just do everything yourself. You clean your house, you grow your own food, you, you live longer, you live happier. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, in these new business models that we can support the, the local, like really supporting local. Um, and then of course I'm watching the science. I love, um, I love to see what my, my chemist friends are up to and what they're interested in and what they're supporting. I mean, I love everything that's happening with seaweed, you know, whether it's regenerative seaweed farming in the oceans and, and capturing carbon, whether what we can use for seaweed as a protein source, you know, to help feed the world or um, making it into a, a truly biodegradable, compostable, backyard compostable, edible plastic. Um, so that's, that's stuff that I'm definitely watching. Um, and really excited to to be a part of that as well. It's it's um, a joy to be advising some of these companies and um, helping spread the word on on some of this innovation. It's an exciting time. <laughs> it is an exciting time, um, and you're clearly contributing in so many ways to the kind of future that everyone tuning in today, I'm sure, believes in and wants to see happen as quickly as possible. I'm going to leave it to you, Kate, to share anything you wanted to talk about today that we didn't discuss uh, and some closing words and where people can find out more information about you. Thank you, Tim. Um, Yeah, I guess get a copy of the book. It's available. Just launched in US. Super proud of it. It's beautiful. Um, And I'm I'm doing a course. It's called Plastics Awakening uh, in August. It's a five week course. And it's just to support people who who want to quit plastics, who want to connect back to nature, who want to connect to this sense of sovereignty. So it's it's about empowerment, it's inspiration, it's it's activism. Um, so that's on my website at iquitplastics.com, and it'll be really beautiful. We'll do calls and and connect in together to um, just support each other through this. Um, this really interesting time and yeah, just take back our sovereignty to make change within our personal lives so that we're resilient activists for the planet. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, and then just follow me on Instagram, Plastic Free Mermaid. I'm putting heaps of useful tips every single day of July. So just sharing my lifestyle, how I do it, how I live plastic free every day at Plastic Free Mermaid. Um, Instagram as well as YouTube. So yeah, just let's get social. Uh, follow me on those and chat, ask any questions that you have. I'd I'd love to talk about plastics. (laughs) I love it, Kate. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you, Kate. Um, You're an absolute superstar and we're so lucky to have you. Keep doing your best work and thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Tim. It's so great to see you and and well done to you as well. Love your work. (laughs) See you. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.
Take